everybody, and welcome to Books Are Scary, a horror literature podcast. I'm Emmy. I'm Allie. And welcome. Today, we are talking about The Dead Smile by F. Marion Crawford. But before that, we'd like to give a quick little shout out to Joseph DeSell, who wrote that neat little Scooby-Doo-esque intro that we requested. And yeah, we just wanted to say thank you. We super appreciate it. We really feel like it adds a little bit more personality to us. And please go check him out. He is in a band called Dead Traffic. They have an Instagram called Dead Traffic Official on Instagram. I already said that, <laughs> but that's okay. It do be slapping. It do be slapping. <laughs> Going on. So the dead smile. Can you give us a 30 second intro? Yes. All right. Ready, set, go. Okay, The Dead Smile is about Gabriel and Evelyn. They're really into each other. They're engaged. Hugh Ockram's dying. He's Gabriel's dad, and he's of the Ockram family, and they're really fancy. Hugh Ockram's dying. There's Nurse McDonald, who's, like, really old, but who they deal with with these kind of things. And... <laughs> Ten seconds. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> um, um, Hugh Ockram has a secret. He won't tell. Uh, yelling Banshee. Um... Gabriel and Evelyn are related. There are people under their feet in the basement who are dead, but they knew that. (laughs) Okay, that went more on 33 seconds, but that's fine. It's okay. (laughs) I thought I was doing really good. You were. I had 10 seconds left. (laughs) You're so good. Well, tell us a little bit about F. Marion Crawford. Yeah, so Francis Marion Crawford was an American writer, but he was actually born in Italy in 1854. And he's the son of Thomas Crawford, who was actually a Protestant sculptor uh, from America who immigrated to Italy. But he died three years after Francis Marion Crawford was born. So after his father died, his mother later remarried to an American painter named Luther Terry. So he came from a very artsy family. He went back and forth between Rome and America throughout his youth. And he later traveled through Italy, England, Germany in his young adulthood. Also, I wanted to give a little shout out to our foreign listeners who are entirely friends of Emily so (laughs) but it makes me happy to see that we have listeners from across the pond we don't have them anymore after that (laughs) no we appreciate you anyways also a little fun fact for Francis Marion Crawford he spoke 20 different languages wow right Superman he speaks the language of intensity apparently yeah (laughs) Italian is the language of love I think (laughs) that might be totally inaccurate it's fine that's French it's yeah (laughs) you're doing great it's okay it's okay (laughs) so he later returned to the united states in 1881 to seek a career in politics but he didn't know very much about american politics so that didn't go very far and i found that very relatable as someone who dives into things without knowing all the things about them (laughs) so he published his first novel in 1882 and he continued writing from that point on He wrote across multiple different genres, ranging from like romance to adventure, having some works that cross those genre lines. And he was a very accomplished writer throughout his life. He later died on April 9th, 1909. Also, I I meant to mention this in the beginning, but he's a Leo. That's Mm -hmm. something we want to start doing is adding zodiac signs to our writers. So (laughs) yeah, we'll see if there's like a consistency in people who like the creepy things, I guess. Yeah. Allie is also a Leo. I'm a Taurus. Very conflicting, (laughs) but it's fine. (laughs) But is there anything else that we should know? Uh, That's about it. I also got this information from Literature Network on onlineliterature.com. So if you'd like to read some more, that's where that is. But yeah, that's kind of an outline of his life. 
Well, I guess we should just kind of move on to what is the dead smile? Yeah. So in the story, it's this repeating image of this weird, creepy smile that Hugh Offram, one of the main characters, has as he's going into his final days of life. And what's significant about this is that it spreads to other characters in a way. So like if someone's in the same room as Hugh Ockram while he's smiling, they feel a smile creeping across their own face. And some of the characters see it in other things. Like I think at one point there's a cat who was with Nurse McDonald and they saw the cat having a really creepy smile like spraying across its face, which is a weird, creepy image. And I imagine my cat doing that and it's like, don't, please. (laughs) But yeah, there's kind of question of what exactly it is, because it could be a curse on the family where it spreads between family members or even like a contagion kind of thing. Like you see the smile and feel the urge to smile as well. And I believe you said something about it being related to the house. Would you mind expanding on that? Yeah, so I've noticed that the house has been in the family for over a century, and we're going to discuss family lore. But because of all of these bad things that have happened in the family, I figured maybe it could center around the house and that the house is maybe a supernatural thing mm-hmm. because they see stuff in dreams. And of course the smile is happening within the home because mm-hmm. we never really leave that setting. I put that question in the middle of the story while I was doing my editing and not editing <laughs> while I was doing my comments in the section. Giving creative notes to, <laughs> <laughs> to a dead man. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> this is incorrect. <laughs> actually missing a comma here. (laughs) (laughs) But I did do some research and from the classic horror blog, commenting on what the grin could be, it says, a rictus grin known in medicine as a rictus sardonicus is a chilling postmortem phenomenon that leaves a corpse with a toothy smile during the early stages of decomposition. This is usually caused by tetanus or a neurotoxin, which causes the facial muscles to sustain a spasm raising the eyebrows as if in hilarious astonishment and drawing the lips and cheeks back in expression of manic humor. So this is kind of natural, but it's also kind of supernatural Mm -hmm. because this is something that does happen to people, but it's after they're already dead. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a nice little teetering on that. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that the family has a dark past. So let's go ahead and talk about the family lore. We learn about Sir Vernon, who was like a great-great-grandpa or a great-grandpa, and this is what it says. But there's a story of old Sir Vernon, who has beheaded for treason under James II. The family brought his body back from the scaffold in an iron coffin with heavy locks and put it in the north vault. But ever afterwards, whenever the vault was opened to bury another of the family, they found the coffin wide open, the body standing upright, against the wall, and the head rolled away in a corner. So, oh, and it was smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of the really big important part. (laughs) So we already kind of kick it off with Sir Vernon having this head already chopped off for treason. And James II is, I assume, this really big figure in Irish culture because this does take place in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And it was such a big issue that they need to put him in an iron coffin. Like they need to lock him away and he's going to be put away forever. He will not have a means of escape. I mean, which people are very like symbolic Mm -hmm. about those kind of things. Like this man's dead. He ain't going nowhere, Mm -hmm. but they don't want his soul to escape maybe. Mm -hmm. And then we have that nice little shot of the creepy head in the corner. So there was that first family dark lore. 
And after Sir Vernon, we have Sir Hugh, which has this really big dark secret, but we don't really learn about that until the end. But we do see the effects of how the family lore is carrying into the present, because whenever the men go to bury Sir Hugh, they come back out with these weird faces. The story says there was never a chill moment or a nice celebration, but when they looked into one another's face, master and men, they were all smiling with the dead smile of the corpse they had left in the vault. So this thing is lingering and it's affecting more than just the family. Mm -hmm. And it's a direct result of having interacted with those corpses. Mm -hmm. And it's also just a creepy detail. This is a very creepy story mm -hmm. in the sense that it like makes me kind of shimmy. Like it makes my skin crawl a little bit. It makes you shimmy? <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. Yeah, but kind of elaborating on some of that dark past and some of the dynamics set up like with the family and with the household, I want to talk about some of the characters. So Nurse McDonald is an older lady who was a nurse for, I believe it was Hugh Ockham's father. Yeah, and she's like 102. Yeah, and she's still kicking. And she's like, this is my house and I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how are you still here? They would have like kicked your ass out long time ago she's homies with the banshee and so <laughs> she's just never gonna die <laughs> but yeah she's kind of just this older symbolic figure who's sort of a part of the family at this point it feels like and she kind of has like a grandma role but not with the royalties of being like in a higher class family mm -hmm. but in this story she sort of serves as a plot catalyst because she's the one who interacts with the banshee and that's kind of when things start kicking into gear because that's when we realize Sir Hugh's about to die and she knows something about Sir Hugh going into his death. So something I just mentioned is the Banshee, which, wow, full circle, we just talked about that in our mini-sode that you should definitely listen to if you haven't already. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she knows who the Banshee is and recognizes her. So I'm going to read a brief quote about whenever she encounters that Banshee. Outside the closed window, there was a face. Violet eyes were looking steadily at the ancient sleeper. Strange as there were 80 feet from the sill of the window to the foot of the tower. It was like the face of Evelyn Warburton, yet the cheeks were even thinner than Evelyn's and as white as a gleam. The eyes stared and the lips were red with life. They were dead lips painted with new blood. So something that I find really interesting about that exact moment is that the way that Nurse McDonald responds is like, oh, is it time? <laughs> and she responds with, ah! <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> that was my best shriek. I'm so sorry. But yeah, the way that she responds, and from what we learned in our mini-sode, which you should still listen to, <laughs> is that a banshee is typically an old family member that's been cursed for the family. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to lie. This part affirmed to me that there was something up with Evelyn and Gabriel. <laughs> like this is whenever I was like, oh, they're brother and sister, aren't they? <laughs> and if the whole face of Evelyn Warburton wasn't affirmation for you enough, you really need to work on it. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm a clown. I'll admit it. <laughs> it's fine. I knew second page, but it's whatever. I'm not very observant in my life and in, in most things I do. So it took me a little bit longer to figure that out. But yeah, that is a dead ringer. But yeah, this kind of serves as confirmation that in this case, the Banshee is Evelyn's dead mom. 
True, true that. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to the confrontation between Nurse McDonald and Hugh. My God. Intense. That was so much. (laughs) Hugh Ockram, will you tell the truth? (laughs) (laughs) They know it in hell. (laughs) (laughs) It was so sassy. And I'm like, why is this man so evil? Yeah, I think that's a big question. Just, (laughs) Hugh, why do you do the things you do? (laughs) Because from how Gabriel acts, I wouldn't have suspected that this man was like an abusive dad or anything. Mm -hmm. So why so angry? For one, why do you care about this man that's like being so rotten? Mm -hmm. I really just think Hugh Ockram chose chaos. But yeah, kind of talking about that scene with uh, Nurse McDonald and Hugh Ockram, it's such just a very high emotions, intense scene. And I love it it kind of reminded me of an exorcism. Like she's trying to pull this information from him and extract this evil that it's kind of in the form of the truth. And she really hates him. Yeah. Like quote that I have right here, Hugh Ockram was the falsest man that ever told a cowardly lie and the crudest that ever hurt a weak woman and the worst that ever loved to sin. Yeah. Like imagine saying that to a Karen. <laughs> are you calling her, are you calling nurse mcdonald a karen no we we stand nurse mcdonald we do yeah and just this whole confrontation gave me very like rosemary's baby like hereditary just very intense vibes of like devil worship and devil demonic imagery i am your mother i am your mother <laughs> <laughs> Um, cinematic parallels between (laughs) (laughs) not to be confused with the Zac Efron Andy Samberg SNL skit (laughs) I am your mother (laughs) I gave birth to you (laughs) (laughs) anyway (laughs) but this section had that kind of intensity to it like Hugh Ockram will you tell the truth like this is your last chance to be honest and to be a good person before you die forever and he chose no, he chose chaos. I don't know. I think a lot of the story had sort of references to going to hell and being evil and inherently evil and choosing evil when you didn't really have to. Sir Hugh didn't have to do all that. Well, but there's also <laughs> the continuity of the bad luck in the family and to have the bad luck not stop at him. Or I say bad luck, but kind of, the evilness that you mentioned would mean that he wasn't the worst. Like, does that make sense? Kind of like he wanted to carry that on because if it stopped with him, he would be most remembered for it. I mean, he is evil. Don't get me wrong, but he wanted to carry that evil on. He didn't want it to just stop. Yeah. Not for any moral reason, obviously. (laughs) More of a lack of moral reason. Yeah. And I guess with that, like, at what cost? Because I mean, he really could have just not kept that tradition going and it would have probably been okay. I mean, that's the thing with like generations. It's like once they're gone, it's like up to the next generation to choose if they want to carry on that tradition. So from here on, like Gabriel's going to be able to choose if he wants to be as evil as his father. And so I think that kind of plays into this question of like fate versus individual choice. Yeah, autonomy. Well, I do raise one question that's definitely not answered in the story is, does the dead smile make you evil? Is that decomposing your morals potentially? Because if Sir Vernon was having the dead smile during that time, he made that bad choice. And then 
the curse, air quote curse, passed on to Sir Hugh, maybe the dead smile started around that time or just the anticipation of the dead smile or is the dead smile a result of the bad thing? Yeah. Like, it, cause it never stuck with Gabriel and Evelyn cause they hadn't done the bad thing yet. Mm-hmm. They were gonna do the bad thing mm-hmm. even though they didn't know. Mm-hmm. But that's just a theory, it's fine. Yeah. And I guess we really have no way of knowing for sure because it ends on them understanding their siblings and being unable to, like us as readers are not able to know what went on from there. Like if they said, well, you know, we're here, we made it this far, we already told everyone, it's gonna be really embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's their choice. Two roads diverged on and they chose incest. And they chose incest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, something that I would just like to add, since we were originally talking about Nurse McDonald, is that Nurse McDonald was great with the comebacks. She was great with the intensity. She gave no fucks about anything. Um, I remember whenever there was kind of like that questioning that Evelyn had about whether her and Gabriel were related and she's like, but we love each other. And Nurse McDonald came back, well, if you love, you can die together. She said very slowly, why should you live if it's true? And I was like, <laughs> well, damn, Nurse McDonald, okay. <laughs> and Evelyn having no idea what's going on, just like, oh, okay. <laughs> she's like, it's fine. It's not wrong. She didn't know at that point that it was incest. Like she exactly. knew that something wasn't right, but. So she just sees it as Nurse McDonald being very passive aggressive for no real reason. <laughs> That could add to her Karen narrative, but we still stand her, so it's fine. My favorite Nurse McDonald quote is when she's talking to the young servant, and she's like, pray for wit, child. <laughs> I think we should start saying that. Pray for wit. <laughs> kind of like the Southern, bless your soul, bless your little heart. <laughs> like, God, you're so dumb. I pray to God that you get less dumb. <laughs> and just to kind of go into the secret it's the incest or the potential incest that is anticipated to happen plot twist could actually could have probably already happened i don't know how like celibate they were in the 1800s late 1800s i imagine there was some scandal creeping around they lived in the same house <laughs> it's fine and there's this secret or there's this quote where Evelyn says, oh, Gabriel, what can the secret be? He said that we had better not marry, not that he forbade it, but he said it so strangely and he smiled. Ugh. She literally said, ugh. Um, And I was like, whoa, reverse psychology, apparent technique. And they even mentioned that to Nurse McDonald. She's like, yeah, he was just trying to trick Ellen into actually getting married by saying, don't do it. I think there's one section. I don't want to say the whole quote, but it was like saying you have this piece of meat in front of them and they're like a wild tiger. And it's like, (laughs) this is a major paraphrase, but like um, he won't take the meat away, but he'll just tell them like, "Mm, don't eat the meat. Don't do it. (laughs) I'm not going to move it, but don't do it. What? What's going to happen? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if I didn't already mention all already, very flowers in the attic 
type shit. Fine. <laughs> I feel like I had to mention it. Your favorite movie ever? <laughs> no, it's not my favorite. Just to clarify, that is not my favorite movie um, for potential future students that are listening to this podcast. That is not my favorite Your movie. professor? <laughs> no, I just really enjoy Kiernan Shipka and Heather Graham. Oh, ma'am, you can calm down. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, obviously the secret is incest. I actually want to read that quote from when Gabriel reads that this is what his father was doing this whole time. Yeah. He had trusted that his son Gabriel and his daughter, innocent and unknowing, might love and marry, and the souls of the women he had betrayed might suffer yet another anguish before eternity was out. And last of all, he hoped that someday, when nothing could be undone, the two might find his writing and live on as man and wife, not daring to tell the truth for their children's sake and the world's word. I am on it with quote saying today. Good job, bud. I'm usually very bad at it, so. I will say, this story is very poesque in more ways than one. (laughs) Um, If any of y'all are familiar with the poem Annabelle Lee, that's a love poem from Poe to his cousin Annabelle, who had died. You know. (laughs) They quoted that in To All the Boys I Loved Before. (laughs) I was like, is anyone going to tell them? (laughs) She did, bud. (laughs) That was his cousin. (laughs) Peter Kaminsky, (laughs) we see you. Oh, man. The FBI is outside your house right now. (laughs) Oh, man. The millennials and Gen Xers that are listening to this podcast have no clue what that movie is. (laughs) It's a Netflix of a YA novel. Yeah. Netflix movie. The YA novel <laughs> about cousins getting married. It's not. It's not about cousins. <laughs> Anyways, so there is a ton of foreshadow in this story. Yeah. So like you talked about earlier, like you clocked it like second word. <laughs> no, page two. Page two. I knew. <laughs> and then the banshee confirmed. It took me a little bit longer to understand it, just because like. Like I said, I'm not the most observant. It usually takes me a good read through or two before I really like understand what's going on. Um, so the first read through, you did not know that they were siblings. It I knew <laughs> it just took me longer than two pages. But at some point, like the likeness of their faces and the emphasis of how similar they like their eyes were and their facial features were mm-hmm. was what kind of tipped me off. And obviously, like this big ominous secret that was about Evelyn's parents. Who's Evelyn Warburton's mom? <laughs> Who fathered this child? I feel Imagine like that question. Maury. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Is Hugh the father? <laughs> that is a... <laughs> you are the father. <laughs> I used to watch that so much when I was like 14. And occasionally I'll look up YouTube videos. <laughs> anyway. It's such trashy TV. I, I love, love it. trash. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But yeah, kind of speaking about how this anticipation worked, it seems like F. Marianne Crawford is not being subtle about this, but still keeping it a secret enough. So I think that he's meaning for us to kind of like bridge that gap of like, oh yeah, maybe they are siblings. I think doing that might kind of be him taking the emphasis off of the secret itself and more so creating atmosphere and using just tension to tell a really scary story and building that tension so tight like I think that that's one of the main goals of the story is to just like be creepy and to make the reader uncomfortable. I imagine stories like this weren't very prominent during that time like this very gothic Mm -hmm. and so during this time this must have been a super scary 
intense story where people wouldn't have seen this type of storyline coming. I mean, I feel like we're pretty familiar because we're big core fanatics and we know some of the historical stuff. But during this time period, this was kind of new. Yeah. I mean, of course, they had their oral tradition and I'm sure that they had some horror, but it was more comedy and drama based. Yeah, no, and I do think that that's a big part of it as well, because horror standards kind of change throughout time, and different times expect different things from horror, but I also think that this kind of leaves for an even bigger impact whenever you realize the big twist isn't necessarily their siblings, but that Sir Hugh Ockram has been doing this intentionally to make his previous wives suffer, and I think that that's maybe one of the bigger twists of the story than them just being siblings hot take I love it thank you that was a really good observation <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, so I would like to talk about a quote that kind of made me see that sinister relationship between Evelyn and Gabriel and it's the kiss had a marvelous savor of evil Evelyn's lips were like the cool breath of a sweet and mortal fear that neither of them understood for they were innocent and young so <laughs> I put in my uh, comments, <laughs> it reminded me of Blink-182, <laughs> hello there, <laughs> the angel from my nightmare. <laughs> I'm sure that that's what F. Marion Crawford had in mind when he wrote this. <laughs> yes, we love it. But I thought that this quote was so important because it talked about the things that they didn't know, but it, it was kind of like a weird personification of a kiss. Because mm-hmm. like, how can a kiss be evil? How can it savor evil? So what do you think of that? So I think this quote's really interesting. And I think it kind of implies this sort of like evilness from Evelyn herself, even though she's not really doing anything wrong to her understanding. And this is something that I had in mind as well relating to the names. And I think that also builds kind of foreshadowing because we have Evelyn and Gabriel. And Gabriel's also like kind of more obviously a biblical name. It sounds like the Archangel Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Evelyn is sort of like a variation of Eve and Eve is obviously associated with original sin and so big brain hours (laughs) we'd love to see it now I would like to move on to my favorite part of this entire story which was the tone setting oh yeah because we just talked about how there was that buildup of tension the entire time and how that really affected the actual meaning of the story Mm -hmm. so what got us there Um, I'm going to read my favorite line from the entire story. And it's not even like necessary, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so beautiful. Okay. This is though the late summer saddened into autumn and autumn darkened into winter and storm followed storm and rain poured on rain through the short days and long nights. Oakram Hall seemed less gloomy since Sir Hugh had been laid in the North vault beside his father. Oh, wow. Way to personify that weather, bud. Oh, yeah. And there's kind of the eeriness through the rest of the story. But I think that that, like, mm, nailed it on the head. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And F. Marion Crawford does so much. Like, he really does the most in building this tone and making you sort of feel just this heavy weight. And especially when related to Hugh Ockram. Like, Like it said before, like, there's this weight lifted when he's gone, like a little less gloomy but it's still just this tension. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I love it. Like (laughs) things are still a rumbling. We're coming for you, bud. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to read my favorite quote that also sort of builds towards tone. 
and it's about the halls echoing. Nurse MacDonald said that the Great Hall would never echo a prayer when an Akram one was to die, though it would give back curses 10 for one. Oh man, Ooh. that's such a creepy detail because it's like, <laughs> imagine just shouting into this echoey hall with some prayers and it's like, mm-hmm. mm, nope. <laughs> Around well, here. That was another reason why I thought the house may have been the issue. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the quotes that contributed, even though it's not really like defined on what the issue was. I, I think it's the hereditary guilt thing that we discussed and just that long line of bad luck, mm-hmm. aka evil. Yeah, definitely. And I guess in a way, like the evil sort of just seeped into the walls of the house, it feels mm-hmm. like. Uh, it's just such this whole thing is just so wrought with like tension eeriness and discomfort it's nice there are bodies under the floorboard I know <laughs> like I mean, okay and they're casual about it <laughs> I'm not gonna lie so this made me think of the board game the trail of the house on the hill mm-hmm. because like that's how I picture a gothic setting they have a chapel they have a vault they have that underground part and so that's what that reminded me of I see it reminded me of the telltale heart like how he boards the old man underneath the yeah yeah that's good good observation thank you (laughs) oh man and so and also there's kind of the dreams nightmares parts and it leads to the vault where we find the dead bodies and sitting up and for one just having dead bodies even present in your home is There was that one scene when Gabriel saw Sir Vernon just like hanging on the floor again. He's like, oh, there's Sir Vernon. Yeah. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. <laughs> and then he just picks him up and moves him back in the coffin. Like nothing, no big deal. Dude, and the fact that so many people were there too. Another quote where I super love the simile and just the drama. Because I do not kid you. They do not have one moment of getting to just like relax before another <laughs> thing happens. <laughs> So like this is Gabriel and Evelyn just being like, yeah, we're getting married, everyone. We're so excited. <laughs> and then the fear of death was suddenly upon them all so that they fled in a panic, falling over one another like wild beast in the burning forest when the thick smoke runs along before the flame. Hella descriptive. Tables were overturned, drink glass and bottles were broken in heaps and dark red wine crawled like blood upon the Polish floor. Ooh, yeah. Okay, for one, I think Crawford's showing off. But I still think that that's a green line. I feel like if I brought that to a workshop, people would be like, why? Being pretentious. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. But it works here. I don't care. It works here. It does. It does. It's fine. Yeah. And there's so many smaller details. One of them being sort of like this repetition of yellow. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think you brought up. And I also noticed after you brought it up. But like whenever he describes Sir Hugh, it's like a lot of yellow to represent maybe jaundice, for example, and sort of just that sickly appearance to the skin and to the face. And uh, it's just creepy. I like how they were able to incorporate it into the black cat, which is a bad omen. They also brought it up into like the rising fire towards the ending scene. So like that added to the supernatural part. Mm-hmm. I remember, oh man, they talked about like a yellow haze, a yellow fog. And I think that was about it. But like the story starts off yellow, mm-hmm. which already gives the, like if you could put something through a lens, if you could put it through a tea stained lens, that's how I pictured it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also yellow is kind of a sign of decomposition. So decomposition was kind of present throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
So something I kind of wanted to end on is the local color sketch aspect of the story. Mm-hmm. So I know that the plot was super important, but it was also super abrupt. Like we hit the climax and then done. There's no resolution. There's no falling action. It's just kind of like my brother, Evelyn, class hands, done. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of add that I think the story is mingling with local color sketch, mm-hmm. which is a English tool that was really popular in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it's a tool that focuses more on dialect, folklore, and manners. And I know that it's not like a direct focus, but we do talk about folklore. We're mentioned so many times that we're in Ireland. We learn some of the names. We have family lore, which is very important to the Irish culture that we've discussed a few times. And I just think that the Banshee was an extremely necessary part. And yeah, so it mingles with local color sketch, but the plot is so important because usually local color sketch plot isn't the biggest part. It's more about learning about the culture. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just felt like that was necessary to mention because even though it kind of teetered, I think it was important. Yeah. So I was actually really surprised to find out that F. Marion's was Italian. Yeah, so he kind of went around throughout his life, like, to different places, but he was mainly in Italy and America for his youth. I think he moved back and forth a few times. But yeah, through his, like, early adulthood, he traveled all through Europe and through the UK, so I imagine he was in Ireland for at some point. Hmm. Well, okay then. So Allie, <laughs> on a scale of one to five old nurse McDonald's. <laughs> what would you rate the story? Honestly, I would rate it a four mm-hmm. on scare factor because I feel like one of the story's main intents is to be scary and to be creepy and it achieves that definitely. It's not the biggest twist in the world in that we kind of understand what it's going to be beforehand but there's all this imagery of like the devil and hell and just this bleak look of how Sir Hugh Ockram goes into death. Well, also there's all this tension and all of this really dark imagery around it. And I really appreciate that because it's like, that's what a scary story is supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, th- there's no definition of like what it's supposed to be. So I kind of rescind that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I like seeing a story with all of this imagery so upfront and so passionately just here, like this is what this is going to be. Hmm. I enjoyed it. Okay. M. Yes. On a scale of one to five Sir Vernon's heads, what would you rate this? I would probably rate it a three. Yeah? Well, because like I mentioned, I kind of saw the twist coming from a mile away. Mm -hmm. But I also kind of liked the fact that you brought up about this was more about Hugh being such an evil man. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, earns it probably another 0.5. Because I think that that was such an important part that I missed because I was so wrapped up in, oh, I got the story figured out. And I appreciated the tension being constantly built. And I think this is a great traditional horror story for people to kind of start out with. This is a story that I would probably tell like around the campfire. Yeah. I think that severed heads is creepy. I think that the constant dead smiling was creepy. And if you don't think that people smiling unnaturally isn't creepy, then there's something wrong with you. Go watch like, the Joker. <laughs> that's, well, that's actually one of the things that creeps me out the most in horror movies is whenever faces contort yeah. and whenever they open bigger than they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, but it's a great story and there's not a lot of research out on it. And so if any of y'all are like really talented writers, this might be a good story to write over and submit to journals and do some analysis. Yeah, definitely. Because in case I didn't mention earlier, there was no analysis anywhere <laughs> to aid in this episode. There are more like informal analyses, but yeah, if you want to get some journal articles published somewhere, this would be a good one to do it over. Oh yeah. And this story deserves love and care because I like it a lot and I'd love to see more people write about it. Well, thank you all for listening today. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Be sure to share this with your friends and family and get our little little podcast out there to people who like horror. If you would like to keep up with our shenanigans, be sure and follow us on Instagram. And if you have any questions, comments, or would like to request a story for us to cover, you can email us at booksarescary at gmail.com. Also, our Instagram handle is booksarescary. I forgot to say that. (laughs) Um, Our next episode will cover the short story, The Machine Stops by E.M. Forrester. And just remember, dealing with the mother of your love child banshee is scary. And letting your kids commit incest is terrible. Bye. Bye.